so glad to see you. I'm glad to see anybody today. I want you to look around. Look at the people who are sitting here today. These are the people you'll spend eternity with. Because only Christians come to church on a day like this, you know. But you get out there with that lightning and thunder, it might make you want to get closer to Jesus, you know. Maybe not that close today necessarily, but, you know, closer. You get the idea. Anyway, I'm glad to welcome those who are worshiping with us online as well. I hope you're safe and dry. Glad that everybody can make it. I'm just glad to see all of you on this September Sunday morning. Now, we started a new series last week, and we talked about guardrails. And, you know, guardrails, that's a system that we have designed to keep vehicles from straying off into danger zones. I told you a story. I'm just going to summarize for those who might not have been here last week. Laura and I went on a retreat several years ago to Colorado Springs. We stayed up on a mountain above Colorado Springs. We were looking out at Pikes Peak the whole time we were there. After that week was over, we drove up on top of Pikes Peak. We wanted to see it for ourselves. We got up there. Now, I noticed something I didn't think about until I got up there and realized what it was happening. We were up over 14,000 feet up there at the top at Pikes Peak. And here's what I realized. As you go up the mountain, you have the illusion as you're driving up through there that, that you have a safeguard because there are trees on both sides of the road. And you feel like that if something were to happen and you were to go off the road, those trees would protect you and stop you from going off the cliff, right? Until you get to the timberline. And when you get to the timberline, there are no more trees. The, the trees can't grow up that high. And so up there, it's just rocks. It's like the moon. And so as you're driving along, you don't have the illusion of safety beside you with the guardrail there. All you have is those rocks, and at some points, it just drops straight off. And let me tell you, it'll get your attention, okay? You talk about a come-to-Jesus experience. You can have one going up to the top of Pikes Peak, especially if you're driving a big honking SUV. Remember last week, we talked about that. Well, that's a guideline for us to realize in alive. Guardrails can be other than something we use on the highway. Guardrails can be involved in our lives in things like our finances and in our morals and in our relationships. You know, you have guardrails on bridges. You have them on medians. You have them on curves. The bridges is to keep you from going over the edge. The median is to keep you from hitting oncoming traffic and keep them from hitting you. The curves, they show up quickly. Sometimes you're not ready. You slow down, and you notice they're there to protect you on those curves. Well, there's an author by the name of Lisa Turkhurst. And Lisa has written a book, and here's what she says. This is a quote. The name of her book is Good Boundaries and Goodbyes, Loving Others Without Losing the Best of Who You Are. Now, I want you to listen to her quote. She says, after hours of counseling intensives and extensive theological research that transformed the way Lisa defines healthy relationships, she has discovered that boundaries aren't just good ideas, but they are God's ideas. Well, we could have told her that, couldn't we? We said that guardrails last week can also be seen in the Bible. You say, where in the Bible does it say in the first book of guardrails? That's where they were over there. They were traveling, right? Well, he doesn't talk about guardrails. 
but he talks about boundaries and he talks about biblical principles and he talks about rules to live by and life to follow. And so there are boundaries that are beneficial to us as Christian people to follow the biblical boundaries that we want to have. Now, there are some things about guardrails I want to mention to you. The first thing is that guardrails direct and protect us. They're there for a purpose. They keep us from being in a non-safety zone. And then guardrails are always placed near the safety zone. In other words, you're driving along, you could actually, you could go closer to the edge, but you don't do that because you're grateful the guardrail is there. You don't want to drive off the edge. No one argues with the logic of a guardrail. Nobody's ever said, well, I sure hate that that guardrail was there to keep me from driving over that cliff. It really messed up my car. Well, it could have been messed up a lot worse, couldn't it? And so we're grateful for guardrails, aren't we? And then guardrails are designed to minimize damage. You may damage your car in a guardrail, but not nearly the way you would if you drove off the cliff, right? And they're not just highways that have guardrails, but as we said, they can be in relational experiences, in professional, in moral, in financial experiences in life. Now, here's an interesting thing about guardrails. Culture doesn't like guardrails because culture says, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it, the way I want to do it, and I don't want somebody else or something else telling me what I can and cannot do. And as we go along in this world today, our culture has become more and more in opposition to Christianity. And people are not interested in what Christianity says because they're so caught up in the culture. And if the culture tells them something repeatedly, even if it's not true, people begin to believe it, even though the Bible tells them otherwise. And so what I want us to see today is that culture might allow suggestions or warnings, but they're not interested in guardrails. And if you share your guardrails with other people, if you tell them what you believe and how you feel about things, it won't necessarily be popular. You remember I told you recently that when I was in high school, a big thing was about being popular. And I was an athlete and I played ball and so I was popular in high school. And then I, I became a, a Christian. I rededicated my life to Christ in my junior year, right in the middle of the year. All my Christian friends went off to college. They were older than me. There I was left at the high school, and I was ready just to grow ahead and graduate and go on to college with them. And I lived for Bible study every Tuesday night when I would drive 45 minutes away to go to the Bible study at the college. And here's what I discovered, that high school was an artificial kind of relationship. In other words, high school was only going to last for a certain amount of time, and the people voted most likely to succeed may or may not succeed in life. Just because things go well for you in high school, it's no guarantee that it'll go well for you after high school. And so it just changed my whole perspective, and I no longer was worried about or concerned about being popular in high school because high school was not reality. I was going to leave. I was going to go out in the real world. And that was what really was going to matter. And so we need relational guardrails to follow in life. Now, sometimes what happens is if you're a parent, you tell your youth, your child, you say, I'm sorry, but you can't go over to that person's house. They can't come over here. And you say, well, why are you being so judgmental about my friends? And the answer is I'm not being judgmental. I'm just using good judgment.
encouragement. And I know that friends can influence you, and maybe they're not the best people to influence you in your life. Now, here's the interesting thing. The same young people who are upset with their parents and say, you're being judgmental, you shouldn't treat my friends that way, they grow up and become parents too. And guess what they do? They turn into their parents. And they turn around and they say the same thing to their children because they can see it even when you can't see it. They can see how that person might not be a good influence on your life. And so you want to be with somebody who is a good influence. You don't have to be judgmental, but you can use good judgment. And that's a difference. You see, judgment is about assuming something about another person and expecting them to follow along with your rules. But using good judgment is about me. Now, let me give you an example of that. I don't have to enforce somebody else's guardrails unless they're a minor who lives in my home, and then I'm responsible for them. But I'm just interested in trying to be the person God has called me to be, and then other people have to make that decision for themselves. But here's what I've learned in life. You and I can have an influence on other people for good. We can influence people in the right direction. We can help them move in a direction that's going to be more beneficial to them just by our witness, just by our example. And so I just want to encourage us to remember others are watching us. And it's an influence that God has given us. And we want to be the people that God is using to draw people closer to him. Now, let me say it this way. Friendships can be marvelous or they can be hazardous. It really depends on the person, right? Great friendships have something in common. When you're around your friends, you drop your guard, right? And you relax, and you're at home with that person. But maybe if you're around some people you don't know very well, then you kind of have your guard up a little bit. You're a little bit more anxious and a little bit more hesitant there. Friendships can be powerful, but they can also be hazardous. And you don't know this about yourself, maybe, but you are an acceptance magnet. Look at the person next to you and say, I am an acceptance magnet. Go ahead and tell them that right now. You are. You know why? Here's what happens. You and I really want to get along with other people. We really do. And we really, we really have a desire and a need to please other people. We want other people to be at peace with us. We want to be at peace with them. And so we just try to be tolerant and accepting and loving of other people. And that's fine as long as you're in a good environment. But what happens if you're in a dangerous environment? That could be dangerous too. Now, here's something you may not know. This is not just limited to the Bible, but in neuroscience today. Let me share this with you. Neuroscience professor Morin Cerf, he's from Northwestern University. He has found through his research, when two people spend a lot of time together, their brain waves begin to look just alike. That's why I got so much smarter when I married Laura. She's so smart. And I tell you, I've just become a genius hanging around with her. I really appreciate that. We adopt behaviors of our close friends without even realizing it. He goes on to say the more we study engagement, we see time and time again that just being next to certain people actually aligns your brain with them. 
This means the people you hang out with actually have an impact on you beyond what you can explain. And you, and one of the effects is you become alike. He goes on and says this, if people want to maximize happiness and minimize stress, they should build a life that requires fewer decisions by surrounding themselves with people who embody the traits they prefer. Without any effort, without any decision on your part, your brain will begin to line up with the people who are becoming the kind of person that you ultimately want to be. And then he says, over time, they naturally pick up those desirable attributes and behaviors. In other words, you hang around really smart, really good people, people that you want to be like, you can pick up their attitudes and their behaviors. The flip side is true, of course, as well. You hang around with a person who has undesirable at attitudes and attributes and behaviors, then just being in proximity to them, you can pick up their behaviors and their attitudes as well. Something happens in your brain. You're not being judgmental. You're just using good judgment to say, I need to hang around with the best people possible. And your future will be impacted by the people you spend time with. Isn't that amazing? that science can see that now. But listen, 3,000 years ago, there was a guy named Solomon who was talking about it. The wisest person who ever lived, he was the third king in Israel. You remember there was Saul, and then there was David, and then David's son, Solomon. And Solomon, considered the wisest man who ever lived 3,000 years ago, he makes a statement that punctuates what we're talking about today. He says this in Proverbs, and by the way, if you ever want to read Proverbs, a lot of common sense in there. There. Take your time and go through it slowly. There's a lot of great wisdom in there. And here's what he said. Walk with the wise and become what? Wise. Now, that's common sense, isn't it? You hang around with the wise people. You'll do wise things. You'll make wise choices. You want to learn from people like that. Hey, that's my mentor. I want to be mentored by somebody who is wise. What's wisdom? Wisdom is somebody who understands that life is connected. And then you spend time with wise people. Over time, you'll become wise. Now, there's a second part of that. He says this, for a companion of fools suffers harm. I want to talk about that for a minute. In the Bible, a fool was a person who did not live carefully. A person was somebody who didn't understand that the past is connected to the present and predicts the future. All of that is tied together. A fool is somebody who is just not careful. And the scripture goes on and Solomon says there, he says, walk with the wise and you'll become wise. In other words, you know, if I want to be wise, I got to hang out with wise people. I want to be wise. That makes sense. But then you would expect him to say, hang out with fools and you will become a fool. But that's not what he says. He says, if you hang out with fools, it's going to be worse than becoming a fool because here's what he says, you will suffer Harm. Did you ever notice that? Did you ever catch that? Hang out with the wise, you'll be wise. Hang out with fools, 
You won't just be foolish. You will suffer harm. In other words, the closer you get to somebody who acts foolishly, the odds are of something bad happening to you. If you hang out with a fool, then you're going to actually catch the shrapnel from their bad decisions. Doesn't that just blow your mind? It's right there in the Bible. Have you ever thought about it that way? In other words, Solomon is saying, friends who aren't careful with their own lives will not be careful with your life. Boy, I had some friends like that in high school. I, I either rode in a car with them or on the back of a motorcycle, and you talk about a come-to-Jesus meeting. I was just grateful when I got home safe after that, right? And he goes on there, and he says, if your friends don't have any concern about their faith, they're not going to have any concern about your faith. So are my friends Christians? Are my friends people who will influence me toward the kingdom? Will I influence them toward the kingdom? Now, the point of a guardrail isn't just to keep you from doing bad things. The guardrail, the moral guardrail, the relational guardrail, it's there to light up your conscience in case you start to go into a danger zone. Now, I want to give you five suggestions <clears throat> about guardrails this morning as we walk through this together. Number one. When it dawns on you that your core group isn't moving in the direction that you want your life moving, that should light up your conscience. In other words, if you're hanging out with a group of people and they're going in one direction and you know you need to be going in a different direction, that ought to get your attention and help you realize that's not good. Now listen, relationships are either growing or they're decaying. They're either getting better are they getting worse? Your friends will ultimately lead you, or you will ultimately lead your friends. When I rededicated my life to Christ in high school, I talked to my friends that I had in high school, and I told them what happened to me, and I thought they would laugh at me, and I brought the football boys into the locker room because I played football, and I stood up on a bench, and I talked to them. You know, they sat there, and they listened very patiently, and they were very polite, and nobody made fun of me, and I didn't know what they would do, but, but I cared about them. And the reason I was telling them about my decision is because I wanted to have an influence on their decision for Christianity. And some of them later became Christians and sought me out and came and told me, hey, I remember what you told me in high school. I wasn't ready to do it then, but I did it, and I wanted you to know about it now. You see, we can influence other people. We don't think we can influence. Now, the second thing is this. When you catch yourself pretending to be someone other than who you really are, that should light up your con conscience. In other words, you want your values, hopefully, to be moving in a direction that are going to be beneficial for you in the future. And when you start having to pretend to please other people that you're somebody you're not, that's when your conscience needs to kick in. But when you find yourself agreeing on the outside, but disagreeing on the inside, that's a red flag, and you need to pay attention to it. Don't settle for friends who force you to pretend to be someone you are not. Because when you lie to yourself long enough, you will become someone other than who you really are. Number three, when you feel pressure to compromise, 
that should light up your conscience. If you've already compromised and you've already gone past the guardrail and you're in the ditch, that should light up your conscience to see, hey, I'm going in the wrong direction. Number four, when you catch yourself thinking, I'll go, but I won't participate. You ever done that? That should light up your conscience. Can you imagine a 14-year-old girl going to her mom and dad and saying, Mom and dad, now I'm going out to hang out with my friends right now, and they're going to do bad things, but I'm not going to do bad things with them. I won't participate. And the mother says, okay, honey, you just go right ahead. That sounds fine to me, right? Now, you're not going to give that advice to your daughter and buy that. If it won't work with your daughter, then certainly it's not going to work with you. And so if you're a wise mom, what are you going to say? Honey, you've got two choices. Either you can stay home with me or I can go out with you. It's up to you, your choice. You let me know what you want to do. We wouldn't buy it from our kids. Why would we buy it from ourselves? And then fifth, when you hope the people you care about don't know your whereabouts, that should light up your conscience. Even if you don't break any laws, even if you're not unfaithful, even if you're not going to do something that embarrasses you or your family, even if you haven't lied yet or you've been tempted to lie, that should bother you because even though you haven't done anything wrong, it's there to establish a guardrail. In other words, the guardrail rails there to protect you from doing something wrong. If you don't want the people who care about you and that you care about to know where you go, then you have no business going there. Now, when Jesus was on earth, he taught something. He said, for every point that he would make about what God wants us to do and the biblical principles of life, what would happen would be that there would always be somebody who would make the counterpoint to argue with Jesus. Well, I don't believe that. I don't think you know anything. I'm going to tell you what the best thing to do is. Have you ever been around somebody who's just born in the objective mood? They always just disagree. It doesn't really matter. If it's not their idea, they don't like it. They can't just go with the flow. There are people who say, well, yeah, you say this, but I say this. Now, here's what's happening. If you and I just get together and share our opinions about things, that's really just kind of pooled ignorance is what that boils down to. But if you and I turn to God's Word and say, well, here's what God says to do, and this is what his wisdom teaches. And this is what he says is beneficial to us. Now we've got some truth to live by. And you and I can agree on truth because it's not something you can compromise about. It is. And it's just the way it is. And that's the way that God made it. And so we have to realize it. Now he goes on in scripture and he says, but wisdom is proved right by all her children. In other words, time will tell. Wisdom won't be proved in the courtroom. It won't be proved in debate, but it will be proved by the outcome. Just sit back and watch. Just give it time. It's going to prove out every time to be right. We're establishing personal guardrails. We're talking about our future hopes and dreams, our future marriage, our future relationship with each other and our children, our future finances. You know, it's not a lack of love that we're talking about today. It's an expression of love. If I stay in the safe zone and I pay attention to the guardrail, 
I'm going to be in a better position to help somebody who maybe drives off into the ditch and needs a little guidance and a little help at a time when I can be there for them. Now, Jesus was right. He said, wisdom is proved right by all her children. He says, walk with the wise and become wise. And then Paul said this, be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every day for the days are evil. What was Paul saying back then? He was saying the world is a dangerous place. Not everybody believes like you and me. Not everybody's going to put the other person first. It's a dangerous place, so be careful. Don't just believe everything you hear. Don't let somebody influence you to do something that really goes against the grain of what you believe. And everything he said is just as true today, if not more so, than it's ever been. Today is a day when you and I have to decide, who am I? What do I really believe? And how am I going to practice what I believe? So I want to encourage you today to establish some personal guardrails with family, with friends, with acquaintances. And we'll pick up there next week. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word guides us through life. We thank you that there are biblical boundaries and principles to live by. We thank you for people who have influenced us in the right direction in our lives. Today, Lord, we pray that we might be those kinds of people. We pray that we might be a Christian witness to those around us, that we might not only love our families, our children, our spouses, our extended families, but that we might love others, especially people who are far from you, Lord, people who don't know the truth because they've never heard it, people who don't understand those principles and those boundaries because they've never read them, they've never seen them, they've never understood them. Lord, I just pray that we might be attractive and winsome. I pray that when people look at us, they might see an example of Jesus. Even with all our faults and failures, that they might think, you know, that person, there's something special about them. There's something meaningful. There's something winsome about them. I wish I were more like that person. I'm going to try to model my life after them. We can be Jesus' hands and feet. We can be his voice, his heart. We can be his ears. We can be there to encourage at a time when people need it. Lord, thank you for divine appointments where you allow us to run into people who are in need, people who are hungry spiritually, people who are really fed up with the world and what it has to offer, people who don't know the answer, but they're looking for the answer and they're desperate. Lord, I pray that we might just love them into the kingdom. I pray that they might see Jesus in us in such a way that they would see love, that they might listen to us because we are loving people, that they might ask us and we might be able to respond, that we might be a blessing to them, that you might use that to draw them closer to yourself. And Lord, for that privilege, we will thank you. We will give you the glory. We will celebrate when that happens. And we pray that we will see more people in heaven because you just gave us a front row seat to watch you work in other people's lives. And we said yes. We didn't have to have ability. We just had to have availability, Lord. And I pray we'd be available in Jesus' name. And all God's children said.